Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, you actually then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 173 of Selling the Couch. Hope you are having an awesome start to your day. So today's podcast session is on the topic of building a practice conducting immigration evaluations. My guest is Cecilia Russin, and Cecilia is a licensed clinical social worker in Fairfax, Virginia, and we are going to talk all about what it takes to build a practice doing immigration evals. Cecilia actually did not start uh, by doing this, and it uh, through a number of different circumstances, she actually happened to find this niche. And uh, we're going to talk uh, more specifically about how she got her first client, uh, what does a process for these immigration evals even look like? So these are things like hardship waiver evaluations or trauma-related. So if somebody that's seeking asylum, um, what do those look like? And then how does she set her fees? And as she is juggling multiple evaluations, how does she balance all of these evaluations? And what systems and processes does she have in place? And then we're going to wrap up by just some of the ways that Cecilia is marketing her practice, as well as just some tips uh, just to get started if immigration evals is something that you are interested in. Today's podcast is supported by Turning Point HQ. Uh, This is a brand new sponsor on the STC podcast, but David and... I call him Dave. Dave and I have gotten to know each other over the past two years. He was a previous STC podcast guest. And honestly, Dave is one of the most kind and generous and helpful people that I know. And with sponsors, you guys know I'm I'm super discretionary in terms of who I share uh, the STC audience with. And Dave, when uh, we talked about sponsorship, he was one of those people. I just, I had zero doubt. And so Dave is a financial planner, uh, specifically for therapists, and his whole mission is to transform your relationship with money. I know for many of us, uh, money is something that, and the money stories that we have often been told, it impacts a lot of how we do business. It impacts how we approach things like retirement and investing and all of those things. And Dave understands that, and he comes from just a very heart-centered place to help us build out an investment in a retirement portfolio. Dave actually has this really cool guide. Uh, It's absolutely free to download, and it's called The 7 Money Mistakes That Hold Therapists Back. You can find it over at sellingthecouch.com 
forward slash turning point HQ. And that guide has a lot of the things that, that can hold a lot of therapists back. And actually, if you go through that link as well, you get $200 off any service that Dave provides. So we'll get right to today's podcast session. Here is my conversation with Cecilia Russin from Fairfax, Virginia. And her website is at altavistatherapy.com. And she also has a website, immigrationevaltraining.com. Hi, Cecilia. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. Thanks so much for having me. I am so like nerdily excited for this <laughs> conversation because this is such a, especially with everything going on politically. And I know like, honestly, I can't even think of anyone that I know that does immigration evaluations. And I'm just looking forward to learning from you about how you've built a practice conducting immigration evaluations and all the different things that you've learned in this journey. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely a hot topic right now, but always important. So I'm, I'm happy to share. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I actually told you this. My dad is actually an immigration attorney. And I knew that. I think you mentioned it once before, but yeah, that's yeah, really so, exciting. Texas, right? Yeah, he is. And yeah. so like all the, uh, when you say like H1B and all that stuff, <laughs> I recognize those terms. You know all the lingo. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, how did you even find this niche? Yeah. So what happened is I started my private practice, you know, maybe four years ago and I was sort of chugging along. And despite what everyone, including you said about finding a niche, I was like, no, no. <laughs> Actually, my husband is an immigration attorney and our offices are in, in a similar area. So mm-hmm. as I knew more therapists in the area, he would sometimes ask me like, do you know anyone who'd be a good uh, referral for a client going through a divorce or something like that? Mm-hmm. Obviously, he, we couldn't refer clients to each other. And then he started asking me if I knew anyone who did immigration evaluations. And I knew a lot of therapists who did general evaluations, uh, psychological evaluations, or for school settings. But I didn't know a lot who did immigration evaluations. And then there were very few who spoke Spanish. And the therapists that spoke Spanish weren't doing evaluations. So I started thinking about it because my background, I had done evaluations for a variety of other jobs. And so what I did is I got together with some other immigration attorneys and I asked them, you know, I I presented them sort of my typical evaluation. I said, but what would make this even better for an immigration case? Hmm. And so I worked with about, back then it was about three or four immigration attorneys sort of tweaking what would be like a really good template. Hmm. And then they started slowly referring clients to me and it was never my intention. You know, I just thought, oh, this will be like an added thing. And it very quickly grew. And so now that's all I'm doing. It's 100% of my practice right now. You said like, it's amazing. First of all, uh, there was something so subtle in that, which is you actually just came from a place of service. So instead of, hey, I'm going to start a practice doing immigration evals, it was more like, hey, what do you guys need? I mean, that's just the subtle languaging around that is just so good and so powerful. Thank you. So I wanted to even just take a step back immigration eval, I would imagine this depends on the situation. So is it just like one general template or are there different things that different types of cases need or how does that even generally work? Yeah, no, that's a a great question. So there's generally, I have divided them. This is sort of my way of categorizing them, Mm. three different groups. Mm. So one is what I actually don't do. 
this is something only a psychologist can do, and it's called a naturalization waiver. And so this is for someone who is applying, they're like a legal permanent resident, and they're applying for their citizenship. And, you know, I, I became a citizen, I'm naturalized, so I had to take a test. Mm. And this is a waiver for someone who's unable to take a test, either because of a mental health issue or maybe an intellectual disability. So they would get this waiver completed by, it has to be either a medical doctor or a psychologist. So because I'm a clinical social worker, this isn't something I do. So that's the first category. The second category is something called hardship waivers. And that's about, about I'd say about 60% of my practice right now. Hardship waiver is when you have one person who's either a U.S. citizen or legal permanent resident, and they have an immigrant family member, so either a spouse or an adult child. And for a variety of reasons, that person is either being deported or has to leave the country for a determined amount of time. And so you complete the waiver for the U.S. citizen, the focus is the citizen or, or legal permanent resident, and you talk about what the hardship would be for that person if their immigrant relative had to leave the country. And so that's a, a psychosocial evaluation, but you sort of address there's various points that immigration has you address, you know, things like how would they be affected emotionally, how would their health be affected, how would they be affected uh, financially. So that's about the hardship waivers comprise about 60% of my practice. And then the final sort of cluster or category is what I call the trauma-related evaluations. And asylum is probably the most common one people have heard of, so fall under that. But there's also uh, VAWA, which is a Victims Violence Against Women Act, and a U visa. So these are all people who have, in one way or another, been traumatized. And so your evaluation focuses more on the trauma they've experienced and the effects of the trauma on them. And I, I never, like, it makes sense the way you describe it, but I, I just never realized that there were all of these different categories, but you just said it was good how you categorized it. It makes uh, a lot more sense I, in my mind now. <laughs> That's how I made it clear in my mind. So I just thought I'm going to put little categories to it to make it have sense for me. Yeah. I mean, especially because, I mean, a lot of these use acronyms and they're just, you know, there's like a lot of, you know, I guess, legal terminology. That's right, with this. right. right. I think I know the answer to this, which is, uh, the question is, how did you end up getting that first client? So I, I reached out to those original sort of few attorneys that we had worked together to make the template. But at that point, it was still uh, sort of a supplement to my regular practice. So what I did is I actually wrote letters, you know, actual paper letters, <laughs> the old fashioned way. And I included in the letter, you know, a little bit of introduction about myself and what I do and my availability. And I added a writing sample. So I actually sort of created a fake evaluation using, you know, fake names and dates and all things like that so that the attorneys could get a sense of my writing style and the quality of my work because it's a big, you know, investment for them and their clients to, to say, well, here's this person, but you know, what if they invest time and money in me and then the evaluation isn't very good. So I wanted to show an example of my work. And I sent them out to immigration attorneys in my area and then started getting referrals. Um, so smart because it's not just tell them what you do, but show them what you do. Yeah. And I was a little worried. I thought, you know, what if they just say, thanks, I'll you know, use this and run with it. But, but, you know, people didn't. They really respected my work. And I probably now have about half a dozen attorneys that very regularly send me clients. And then, but overall, throughout the year, I work with about 20 different attorneys in, in the area. Wow. 
Wow. So did from those three, did it just sort of like, was it word of mouth among the attorneys? Like, I think so too. I mean, I would reach out to them, but you know, they're together in court all the time and they'll ask, you know, just like we have the selling the couch Facebook group, they have their own Facebook groups and they start saying, oh, I heard about you on a Facebook group or I asked a fellow attorney and they recommended you. And so it just sort of grew by word of mouth and they were referring clients to me. And it's interesting because even now, I very, very rarely get a call from a, a client directly. I would say it's 95% of all my referrals come from the attorneys. They usually prepare a list of recommended providers and they give that to the client and then the clients call me from there. That's really interesting. That's very, very interesting. So it's like you're actually going to the person who would make the referral. Right, right. It, it's right. very different than I thought uh, the private, than when I was seeing clients directly and clients would find me directly. I still maintain like a Psychology Today profile because clients like to learn about me mm. um, and a website, of course, before they call me. But the point of referral or the, the initial point of contact is through their attorney. That's interesting. The two types that you do are the hardship waiver and the trauma-related that's correct. What does the process look like for each of those? Like, so what does it look like for like a hardship waiver? We can start with that and then. Sure. It's pretty similar. So usually the clients call me and they say, you know, I got your name from my attorney. And I would say about a good amount of my clients speak Spanish and I speak Spanish too. So that helps, I think, also with the referral process. Even clients whose English is very, very good, sometimes when dealing with really emotional topics, would rather speak in Spanish. Hmm. So usually I spend some time on the phone explaining what I do. And for a hardship waiver, I ask if there's any additional documentation I might need to look at. So that could be therapy records, that could be school records. If a child has an IEP, it could be uh, medical records. And we set up a time to meet. And for hardship waiver clients, I usually meet with them twice. Uh, so each appointment's about an hour and a half, two hours. Hmm. Um, if appropriate, we'll do some evaluation measures. So, you know, uh, like a Beck depression scale or something like that. And then from the last time I meet with them, it takes me about maximum two weeks to write the evaluation. And for hardship waiver evaluations, those are, tend to be about 14 pages long. It's a comprehensive process. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, what I always tell the clients, I, I do send, I get releases from them. So I send one copy to the attorney and one copy for them to always keep. For the, like the trauma related cases, that's a teeny bit different. They, same process in terms of they, they call me, they, they've got my number from uh, the attorney. Sometimes those are a little bit more time sensitive, while hardship waivers are more of an administrative process where the attorney is sending in paperwork to immigration. With asylum, there, there's a final court hearing. And so, you know, sometimes people are a little bit better prepared. And so we've got months before the court. Sometimes people have court next week <laughs> and call oh me. And sometimes I do charge an expedited fee if it's really a really fast turnaround, because that means I have to sort of stop everything else I'm doing. But usually we have enough time. I had done a lot of trauma work before. So what I say is, you know, it, it takes however long it takes. And so sometimes people prefer having three one-hour sessions spread out. And sometimes people say it's more like they just want to get it done and they just want one long session. So I just kind of let them dictate that. Um, so I have to be a little bit more flexible with uh, scheduling. But it's a similar process of doing a psychosocial history and writing down their description of the traumatic effect, uh, event and then 
for all the trauma cases, like my asylum cases, I use a, a scale called the CAPS-5, which measures PTSD. Um, because most, not all, but most of those clients have a diagnosis of PTSD. And then the end process is the same of uh, writing up the report and sending it. And of course, with, with all my clients, I refer out as needed to other therapists in the area. Um, so that's been really important, too, to keep up a, a good network of therapists that I refer to once I'm done with the evaluation for my clients to be able to get treatment. Yeah. Does um, Have you found that, like, generally clients tend to be open to that sort of follow-up treatment after the eval, or how generally, I guess, how do you usually present it? Sometimes they're usually hearing, especially with my trauma cases, they have never even heard of what PTSD is. Hmm. Um, So it's a big relief for them to say, oh, there's a reason, there's a label for this. Hmm. And they're very open, for the most part, to services. Sometimes it's a little tricky with the language to find services, uh, find providers that speak Spanish. A lot of my clients don't have insurance, so finding something affordable, that can get a little tricky. But for the most part, on their end, they're very open to, to services. Yeah, no, I, I could see that, Like, especially because, as you said, if they now have a label and they know that they've been struggling with these things, so yeah. just being able to take that next step forward. So you mentioned that there's, it sounds like there's sort of the regular fees and then there's expedited situations, right? And there might Mm -hmm. be expedited fees. So in general, how do you even start with setting fees and determining fees for these kind of services? So that was a little different than sort of the per hour. I did some market research and most clinicians across the country who do this kind of work charge for the work. So you charge a set fee for doing the evaluation instead of very early on, I realized I couldn't charge by the hour because I didn't want to penalize someone who it just took them longer to tell their story because of their trauma. So I charged for completing the evaluation. So I did some research in my area. And of course, things are, are different. I'm in Washington, D.C. And for our area, the evals are start some anywhere between sort of 750 up to 1250 for completing the whole evaluation. Hmm. For my clients, Again, I, I do charge more. You know, if I see someone on Monday and they have court on Friday, that's going to be an expedited fee. So I charge about 40, 50% more for that. And then I, I always try to keep in mind it, it has to be proportional. So, you know, if someone is paying their attorney $5,000 to complete their evaluation, I'm sorry, their asylum case, I can't also go in and charge $3,000 on top of that. It, it has to be proportional. And not with asylum cases, but with the hardship cases, they're paying their attorney, they're paying fees to immigration, and then now they have to pay for the evaluation. So I also try to keep it sort of as proportional as possible. Do you like follow like a certain percentage or does it kind of depend on the case? Like, for example, like, oh, if, you know, the attorney's fees are whatever, like let's say 5,000, right? Do you go like 20% or like, do you follow? Uh, Yeah, no, no. I just charge my flat fee, but I do keep sort of an eye on what attorney fees are. I have increased fees over the years once and I offer payment plans. You know, I tell clients if they really can't pay the fee, most of my clients pay just all at once, but sometimes they aren't able to. And so they'll pay half when we start and then half when the report is complete. I, the one thing I'm very strict about though is, you know, I won't release the signed report until I have full payment just because then afterwards I just sort of don't have any, you know, reason for clients necessarily to come back. And although that's never happened to me, I do know some colleagues it did happen to. So I sort of learned that lesson to not release the final signed document until I have the full payment. Yeah, no, it seems like like a simple kind of common sense thing. But like when you describe it, I can see where that would make a lot of sense, especially 
if this is sort of like you're done with the eval and then after that, it's, you know, they may never see you again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You started talking about this uh, at the very beginning, and I wanted to dive a little bit deeper, which is what like systems and processes have you set up to actually complete these evals in a timely manner? Because I imagine you're like juggling multiple <laughs> interviews, multiple. Right, right, right. You know, it's, it's nothing too fancy. It's a really good, solid spreadsheet and it's color coded, but I really have to take, it's not an assembly line sort of process. It's more, each one is handcrafted individually. So my week looks like I, I meet with all my clients. Let's say I meet with four clients on one day, hmm. let's say Monday. And then the rest of the week is spent writing evals. So I'm not, because writing does take a good amount of time, I'm only seeing clients one day a week now hmm. and writing four days a week. Hmm. Um, so I'll see four clients together on, let's say, a Monday. And then the following day, I'll take one case and work that one all the way through. So I'll write it up. I usually write all morning, take a break, and then edit in the afternoon, and then get it ready to send off the next day. So that, you know, printing out and cover letters and things like that. And I try as much as possible to finish one before starting the next one. Sometimes I feel like the simplest ways of doing things are the best way. <laughs> I love like I'm all about color coded Excel sheets. Uh, we should compare color coded Excel sheets at some point. But uh, no, it's just such a. I appreciate you saying that because I think sometimes when we hear things like this, we imagine this has to be like a very complex setup with multiple moving parts, and it does. But how we track it doesn't have to be complicated. Right. 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 Just shifting a little bit, uh, how do you market this service in general? So it sounds like to um, immigration attorneys. Yeah, I mean, that's been my primary referral source. Mm -hmm. I reach out to them. You know, there's always new attorneys or sometimes they reach out to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I heard my, you know, my colleague so-and-so mentioned you. And it's just sort of uh, keeping that relationship fresh and uh, appreciating that relationship. So I definitely throughout the year, you know, send thank you cards, just try to keep that relationship, sort of nurture the ones I have and continue to grow with new attorneys. Um, sometimes it's in unlikely places. I'm, like I said, I'm outside of Washington, DC and Richmond is about two, three hours away, two hours away. Hmm. And I have an attorney sending me clients from there. And I hmm. thought, this can't be right. You know, there has to be someone closer. Yeah. He said, no, there isn't a Spanish speaking therapist there. Mm-hmm. And so clients are, you know, driving up from Richmond to see me, which I'm happy to see, but I just would never have thought to market to a city quite that far away. So I'm, I'm always starting to think about places and, you know, Virginia is a pretty rural state. So sometimes I've done, rarely I've done, you know, the interviews online, but for the most part, I just uh, contact the attorneys directly and continue to foster those relationships and and grow uh, relationships with new attorneys. Yeah, that's really cool. Have you thought about or like what the conference, what I think Ayla, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have. uh, I'm just not, you know, really into the, I don't know. I haven't gone out and, and gone to conferences, but that's definitely something to think about. But because I'm also, you know, Ayla's nation, it's the American Immigration Lawyer Association, I think. But they're, since they're nationwide, I still am, you know, limited to practice yeah. where I am licensed. So I, you know, as much as I'd love to connect with attorneys all over, I wouldn't be able to help attorneys that have clients in like California or Texas or anything. Right. Yeah. So I wonder if even, I don't even know, like a local. The local one. Yeah. Yeah. I have definitely reached out to them and they have sort of mini conferences. So something to think about. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, even I was thinking like, 
I don't know. I mean, it seems like you're doing really well in referrals. So, but even like something like uh, like a little workshop, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just explaining immigration evals, right? So, yeah, um, very cool. What a amazing thing to like take your life experiences, you know, and then your husband's career, identifying that this is something you're struggling with, and then creating a niche. Um, you're a sharp cookie. <laughs> Thank you. You are doing some amazing stuff with immigration evals, and I know that you've created lots of support for colleagues that want to start doing this work as well. Before we share some of those, what would you say is just like the number one piece of advice that you would give to someone that's wanting to incorporate this into their practice? I think this is a great thing you can do, as I had planned, you know, just to test the waters. It's very easy to just start out with one or two. Hmm. Um, and there's such an enormous need right now. I suspect there will be a greater need coming in the next few months for asylum cases. So especially if you have any history, uh, any background in, in trauma work. You know, I think sometimes people are really intimidated, like, oh my gosh, can I do this? We all know how to do assessments. We were all taught how to do this. We all do this when we sit down with the client for the first time. It's sometimes just about polishing off the, the writing skills. And if you reach out to attorneys, it's something you're really interested in. If you reach out to the attorneys in your area, they often have either a template or a sample for you to follow. So I, I, you know, I really encourage people, if this is something that speaks to them and, and some work that they want to get do, start doing, they can reach out to the community, to you know, immigrant groups, but also the, the attorneys doing the work and see if there's any way they can help out. Perfect. Yeah, that's such a good tip. Cecilia, I'm so, so grateful for you. Um, as I mentioned, you're doing some awesome stuff to support colleagues in getting started with their own um, practices if this is something they're interested in. Um, where can we learn more about that? Oh, thank you so much, Melvin. So a couple of places, they're probably the best website uh, where they can get sort of some maybe quick start guide to, to getting things going with immigration evaluations is a web, my website, immigrationevaltraining.com. And then I've also started a Facebook group where uh, we sort of share tips and what's working, what's not working, how we can improve things. And the Facebook group is called Immigration Evaluation Therapists. And if you just uh, request to join, I'll approve it. And if anyone's interested in me personally, um, my therapy practice is altavistatherapy.com. Perfect. You said all of that like perfectly clear. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad it came um, through. Thank you so much for doing this. And it's just, it's been wonderful to connect with you. And just, I don't know, for me, just even doing this interview, I don't know, it's opened my world to oh, the great. depth of things we can do, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Melvin. I really, really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. Bye. Hello. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cecilia. And especially if you are considering uh, doing immigration evals or have been wanting to incorporate evaluations into your practice, I hope that today's podcast session has just been a wonderful source of support for you. Again, Cecilia's website, if you do want to learn more about immigration evals and just getting training with them, is immigrationevaltraining.com. And then she also has a Facebook group called Immigration Evaluation Therapist, which I'll link to here in the show notes at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 173. Actually, there should be a dash in there. So I'm sellingthecouch.com forward slash session dash 173. 
As I was reflecting on this episode, you know, one of the things that just really stood out to me is, you know, I think it's it's very easy to just say that I want to focus on a niche and just drive, drive, drive to go and to focus on that niche and build that practice based on that niche. But I love what Cecilia did, which is that she took what was sort of happening and the people already in her life. And she realized that instead of saying, you know what, when her husband, for example, uh, broached this idea of immigration evals, it wasn't like, oh, let me go find somebody. It was like, maybe there is a need for this, right? And it's such a subtle mindset difference, but um, really owning that all of us have expertise and knowledge in certain things and uh, maybe seeing that opportunities, that opportunities can come up in places that we don't expect. And one of the best ways to actually determine need is to see what, for example, other professionals are needing help with. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and an investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met, and you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable, and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your week and thank you again for tuning in. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.